I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. Um, I love this passage. It is a beautiful story. And so we're just going to hop in. Um, just to give a little context, we read the beginning. So we know that Jesus is in his last days. He's left, he's come to um, Bethany, and Matthew, this is like a turning point in the story of Matthew. He's been teaching his disciples, he's been healing people, he's been doing miracles everywhere he goes, and he's starting to like clue people in, hey, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, we just read it. He's getting very explicit and clear, he's actually saying like, in a few days, I'm going to be crucified. Now, people are having different responses to that. And it seems like the disciples, that's somehow kind of going maybe in one ear and out the other. That's not really what they want to hear or what they want Jesus to do. So it seems like although he's being very explicit, people aren't all connecting with the fact that this is Jesus. These are Jesus's last days. So with his last days, he is heading to a town called Bethany, and Bethany is the place where he's raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, so this is actually kind of a dangerous place for him to go because people were not happy with him raising Lazarus from the dead. So he heads back to Bethany, and he's going to spend his last couple of days with his close friends just like I can imagine we would do with our last few days. We would go to be with the people we loved. And so Bethany was a place that had some of his people. Um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were some of the people he loved. So we know that he's going to the house of Simon, a leper. And it doesn't say this, but I think we could kind of guess that this is someone who's probably been healed of leprosy because you would likely not be hosting like a party at your house if you had like active leprosy. That would not be okay. So we could kind of guess, although we're not told, that he goes to this house. We know that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are there. We know that his disciples are there. And most likely like tons of people from the town. Because Je remember, Jesus raised someone from the dead in this town. He would be very popular or hated. Um, but definitely people would know he's coming, and I'm sure the house was packed out. Um, there's two other places in the Bible that this story is told. One is in John 12, and one is in Mark 14. And I'm going to kind of borrow pieces from both of those um, stories as well, because they fill in some of the pieces that Matthew doesn't um, share explicitly. So... Um, this is a story that's being, or this dinner is being held in Jesus's honor. Um, and this is a story of extravagant worship. It's a woman's just incredible love and devotion for Jesus poured out. And it's interesting because it's set and kind of sandwiched between 
um, hatred and betrayal. So the story starts with people plotting to kill Jesus. Then we have this like incredible act of devotion and worship. And then it ends with another plot to kill Jesus. So we didn't read that part, but right after um, this story, it says, then Judas, I mean, we don't know that he left that dinner, but we know by that then, it's like not long after this event, Judas decides like, I'm going to go betray Jesus. So right after this in Matthew, it tells the story of him going and basically asking like, what will you give me for Jesus? What will you pay me to betray him? So this story of incredible worship and devotion is sandwiched between hatred. Um, and I just, I, I just think that's, that contrast is interesting. It's like they're all experiencing Jesus. They have, they're all in the same room with Jesus, but they're having very different responses to him. And we see this throughout Jesus's whole ministry. Everyone's hearing the same teaching, and some people are walking away sad or with hatred, and some people are giving their whole lives to him. So I believe this extravagant, demonstrative act of adoration for Jesus is meant to inspire our hearts. It's also designed to expose our hearts, to show us what's inside of us. And I think that's what like radical acts do, right? It it shows us our hearts. We can't really stay neutral when, um, and people couldn't be neutral with Jesus. It's either like they loved him and wanted to give their whole lives to them, or you have people who are plotting to kill him. And I think when we see something so demonstrative, so extreme, so extravagant, we're either kind of moved to do the same, or we can be offended because it exposes the own, like the lack in our own hearts. And so I think just this morning, my prayer for us um, is just that this simple little story <laughs> would stir our hearts in a fresh way, would stir our affection for Jesus, would show us where we are in our hearts. Like, what is our response to him? How do we feel towards him? And yeah, I'm just asking God, I'm asking that for my own heart as I prepared. Like, I think just every time I'd get into the scripture, I'm just praying. Like that's all I could do is like, God, stir up a love and affection for Jesus in me. Help me have a heart like Mary. I know I can't produce that on my own. Help me. And I'm praying that for us this morning too. So in this story, um, there's a dinner party days before his crucifixion. We know that Jesus has told them, I'm going to die. And during this meal, um, this woman who Matthew, or sorry, John, the Gospel of John tells us this woman is Mary, as in Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who has seen her brother raised from the dead. So this woman comes and pours a flask of very expensive ointment or perfume on Jesus. And, you know, it tells us it's very extra, it's very expensive, but John um fills in um, that this ointment or perfume was worth 300 denarii. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't speak Hebrew. Um, so 300 denarii. And what we know about that is that would be like an entire year's worth of a, like a salary. A whole year's living just got poured out in one moment. And it doesn't tell us where or how she got it. So we could make guesses. Maybe it was a family heirloom, an inheritance. Maybe they knew Jesus was coming and took a collection and bought it. We have no idea. We, we're not told that part. We just know that the gift was extremely costly. 
And perfume in those days was very potent. I actually kind of looked up and I don't remember it, what that, because it, it describes it as like pure nard or diff, there's different stories. But just, I can imagine like these things would be, they're not made of like all our synthetic chemical fragrances we use today. It was probably more like an essential oil potency. So if you can imagine what one dot of like patchouli smells like, like you can smell that. You know when someone's wearing it, right? So this would be very potent, okay? And um, uh, we also know that the bottle was around 11 and a half ounces. So I brought some old perfume just for reference. Like this is 1.7 ounces. Well, if it was full. This is, I've had this for years, right? So you could, just for reference, like what, if I poured this entire bottle out, like you would need to leave the room, right? You would all have headaches. It would smell so intensely. So imagine 11 bottles worth of pure nard, what that would have cost, what the expense was, what the intensity of the aroma would have been. And I don't know, I, I have uh, teenage girls that are getting into like smelling good, you know? So I don't know if you have teenagers, just they're not quite sure like what the amount of spritzes should be yet. So I'm sure if you've gotten in the car with a group of teenage girls on the way to like a high school dance, I mean, windows need to be rolled down. The intensity is so crazy from like what? Two or three spritzes. So just imagine 11 and a half ounces of pure nard poured onto Jesus. She spared no expense, like just poured it out on him. And this fragrance would have filled the entire house. Like it would have, we pro everyone who was at the party probably left smelling like it. And I just feel, I don't know, like this, we're not told this directly, but people didn't like shower all the time like we do. And so, just think, Jesus is days away from going to the cross. And I just feel like so moved by the thought, like he would have still smelled like this perfume. Like she poured it on his head. So like it, days later, 100%, you would still be smelling 11 and a half ounces of oil poured over him. And just the thought like, you know, he's going through his deepest moments of grief and he can smell that perfume. He can smell that woman's love and adoration for him. When all of his friends are betraying him, he can smell that act of love and adoration. I don't know. I just love that. Um, so you would expect like this woman, it's days before he's going to die. He, she's pouring out love and adoration. You would expect like the whole room to join in. It's Jesus. Like everyone there is there for him, but that isn't what happens. People don't join and like overflow with worship and adoration. We're told that the people in the room were indignant. Now, it, um, Matthew says disciples. It doesn't specify. John does specify and they give this quote of what a waste specifically to Judas. Um, so I think we can assume because Judas is specifically named and given that quote that it was maybe Judas who said that, but we can also guess that 
he wasn't the only one who felt that way. There was like an agreement among some of the guys that this wasn't okay. Um, so Judas and the others criticize and ask why the money wasn't spent on the poor, which really seems like a valid question. Of course, like, shouldn't we care for the poor? Um, but this story has nothing to do with the poor. Uh, the Gospel of John also gives us more insight before we think like, yeah, Judas was a pretty good guy that cared about the poor. It actually says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So Jesus responds very kindly and kind of like giving them the benefit of the doubt, like, I see you care about the poor. Um, and he responds by saying, you, you'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. And then Jesus validates and commends this woman's act. He calls it a beautiful act. And then he also says this story will be told all over the world as a memorial to her. And it's crazy, like, here we are today <laughs> telling her story. And um, we also get insight into Judas's heart because what comes after the story? Like, he leaves and sells Jesus's out. So, you know, this passage is not about figuring out how to care for the poor. The poor were, was brought up as a cover-up in this story. They totally missed the point. So we're not even going to, like, go into all of that because that isn't the point of the story. Um, so, okay, I just want to kind of throw out some things that really stuck out to me in the story that I feel like are relevant for us today. Um, the first is that extravagant love dictates an extravagant response. Oh, yeah, good job, Gunner. You're on it back there. <laughs> it's a beautiful and fitting thing when our hearts match the value of Christ. When we like in worship like this morning, when we see Christ for who he is and our hearts match that value. And it's a tragic thing when we view Jesus and see him for who he is and our hearts do not value him and treasure him. And that's what we see in this story. You know, in kind of a contrast between Mary and Judas, like they all saw the same things. They witnessed the same miracle. And Mary's heart matches Christ's worth, where Judas's contradicts it. Um, we're told earlier in Matthew, people are coming to Jesus, like, what's the most important thing? What's the best commandment? What's the thing we need to know the most? And he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And Mary demonstrated that. She loved Jesus above all. She loved Jesus first. Everything else and everyone else came second to that love for Jesus. Earthly treasure was nothing compared to Jesus for Mary. And that's how it's to be with us. So this is our primary calling. So in life, we have all kinds of callings, vocations, things we're gifted to do, things God's asked us to do. But your primary calling isn't being a mom. Your primary calling isn't being a pastor or a teacher or a doctor or a wife or a husband. That is not your primary calling. Those are maybe assignments you have. Those are positions that God's given you. But your primary calling is this to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is your primary calling in life. 
That is what we want to give ourselves to first and foremost. Um, I think so often, like, we can, we ask, what is the least we can give? We might not say that out loud, but that's often how we're living our lives. Like, what's, what is the least I can do to be saved? I don't think anyone would actually vocalize that, but often that is how we're living. Or what's the minimum I can give? How can I kind of participate and give, but not in a way that's going to cost me or hurt me or come as a sacrifice? And that isn't, that isn't the true worship that we're seeing put on display here. Mary wasn't thinking, I wish I didn't have to give so much. In fact, Jesus didn't ask that of her. He didn't require that of her. That was of her own like free response to who he was, to what she had seen him do, to how beautiful and incredible he is. That was the response of her heart. And that's what worship looks like to us. Um, you know, I mean, I guess it, w- it would have been fine probably. She could have like gone and like doused him. That still would have been really a kind and generous thing for her to do. She could have in the back room like kind of poured out half and saved some for her and given some to him. And that is kind of how we live our lives, right? Like little for me, little for Jesus. And she didn't do that. It, didn't, it seems like it didn't even occur to her that there was enough perfume for her and him. She just poured the whole thing out on him. On him. So I just, yeah, I want us to kind of, I know maybe we don't automatically see ourselves in Mary or Judas. And I don't know that any of us are like, yeah, I have a heart like Judas. We may not want to admit that. But I do think there's things in both of their stories that we can relate to. And I just, I think I've just been struck by how often like you, two people can have just such a different reaction to the same thing. And we see that with Mary and Judas. They witnessed all the same miracles. They were probably both there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. They heard the same teachings, but what was in their heart was so different and their response to Jesus was so different. So being in the room isn't enough. Being in the room wasn't enough to treasure Christ, right? So we see this contrast. Yep, we got my little handy chart here. So Mary, her, she had a heart that corresponded to Christ's worth, whereas Judas's heart contradicts Christ's worth. Mary um, was willing to pay any cost to honor Jesus. For her, it was like no price was too high. She was willing to give it all, whereas Judas was willing to trade him for a small sum. Any price will do in exchange for Jesus. I mean, he literally goes and says, like, what will you give me for him? Mary exhibited humility. We see her sitting at his feet. And we'll talk about this later, but this isn't the first time she's found sitting at his feet. Whereas we see arrogance in Judas. He's correcting. He's correcting Jesus in some ways. Like, shouldn't you tell her to stop? So he's bringing correction to Jesus. He's also criticizing others and judging others. For Mary, material things were a means and a tool to serve Jesus. For Judas, Jesus was a means to get material things. And I just, um, in the last few weeks, have even been just kind of like thinking about this contrast and just in my own heart, like asking, like, what is it that Mary saw? Like, Show me that, God, I want to see you as that 
as being worth it all. And um, I've been kind of obsessed with this other little contrast in scripture lately. Um, it's um, found in Matthew 19, and it's a little parable where Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God is like this man, and he goes and finds a treasure in the field, and in his joy, he sells everything that he, that he has in order to gain this treasure. And I've been thinking about that in contrast to another story in Matthew as well, the one we know as the rich young ru ruler who comes to Jesus and is like, hey, what do I need to do to follow you? What do I need to do to be right? And Jesus sell, says, sell everything you have and follow me. And it says in that story that he walked away sad because he had many possessions. And so again, like this contrast where one is like in, in his joy, it does not say in his obligation, it does not say in his hesitation or in his reluctance, but he knew like, I have the better end of the deal here. I'm willing to give everything in order to gain this treasure. And so I think that just, rem it reminds me of this story. And it just, for me, makes me want to keep asking like, help me to see God, help me to see you rightly, help me to treasure you rightly. Cause you see this contrast over and over in scripture of people who got it and were like joyfully giving everything they had because they know what they gained is far superior than what they lost. And then people who oftentimes are holding on to possessions and wealth and things in this world that are fleeting, but they can't let them go. And they're willing to give up on Christ in order to keep you know, their hands tight around what they have. So these contrasts in scriptures should sober us and help us um, to self-reflect. Self so often throughout the Old and New Testament, we see that the people who thought they were in were actually on the outside. And the people who thought they were the outsiders were actually the ones who got to come in. The gospel over and over elevates the humble and denounces the proud and exposes our hearts. So this story and Mary's act of love remind it, reminds us that there's no measuring the value of Jesus, no quantifying his worth, no calculating how much we should give to him. He is infinitely valuable. As we're awakened to that, our values begin to change and we begin to love him rightly like Mary. When we see him like Mary saw him, we stop asking the questions like, I wonder what other will, people will think about me or how much will this cost me? Um, the next thing that I feel like this passage gives us is a sober warning that you can be close and still miss it. So it's Jesus's last days. He's enjoying the company and comfort of his friends. And we don't know for sure, but it seems like Mary got something that other people were in the room were missing. So Jesus has clearly spoken of his death, but the disciples aren't really hearing it. Um, yet Jesus says that Mary, this act that she did, was actually in an anointing for his burial. So we don't know if she fully understand, stood all that she was doing by pouring the oil on his head, but that would be, do, that would be done when you're anointing a king. And we don't know if she fully got it, that she was covering his body with oil, which would be done in burial. But he commends her for having the appropriate response for the moment. Um, and I don't know, I just, can you imagine being with a close friend days before they die? And 
I don't, it just seems like the disciples still didn't believe it because it's days he's told them and here they are like arguing about, man, and saying what a waste and we should have spent that here and we could have done this. They just, they totally missed it. They missed the moment. Um, So in some ways, again, that comment about the poor might seem logical, but Jesus kept bringing that moment like she did it for me. She did it for my body. It's like this moment is about me, and you guys missed it. Um, Jesus often pointed out in the gospel that you can have eyes but not see, ears but not hear, and hearts but not understanding. And I think this is just a little sober warning for us that we can be close. We can be in the church. We can be doing Christian things and in Christian community, but we can still miss him when our hearts are far from him. And that frustrated him, Jesus, more than anything. Like how many times he told the Pharisees, like, you come to me with your lips and your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. He called them whitewashed tombs. He had some pretty harsh things to say, but... God is after our hearts. He's after that response of worship and love and adoration for us, from us. So here's Jesus, the word made flesh, the promised Messiah sitting and eating among them, the fullness of God, the perfect image of the Father, the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. And they, they couldn't see his worth in that moment. Their hearts were not full of awe or wonder and worship. And it actually led them to be upset and offended. Um, The next thing that just stood out to me in this passage is that as you do respond like Mary, when you are living a life of radical obedience and love and adoration, you can expect mocking and offense. And I think this can come um, outwardly from people, and it also can come inwardly spiritually. So I think... When we step out in faith, when we step out to love Jesus extravagantly, you will hear voices and they might sound something like, settle down, chill out. You don't have to go that far. Is that, it, that's kind of extreme. You should settle down. You don't really have to give that much. You don't really have to go that far. Or maybe something more like, well, who are you to think you can do this thing? Who are you to think you can love Jesus in that way? I mean, that would have been pretty, I mean, we've seen where women kind of like go for it and dump their love on Jesus. It's not received well. It's scandalous. People don't like it. And I think that is, that can be what we hear when we want to love Jesus extravagantly, when we're ready to take a risk and step out. And so you can expect to be scolded. Radical love convicts people. It, it shows them the own, own lack in their own hearts, and it can be offensive. But we don't have to apologize for Jesus or diminish it for the sake of others. Um, and this makes sense in the world because this way of living makes sense in light of eternity. It doesn't make sense on this earth. So... It's natural that the voices you would hear either out loud or in your own head from the enemy would be telling you that this is foolish. What you're doing is foolish. But this way of living makes sense in light of what Jesus did in eternity. Um, I can't really think of a time where I've done anything (laughs) extravagant or risked in my life that I haven't heard those voices. And um, 
Yeah, I was I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing, and I actually just had a friend continue to come to my mind, and so I ended up calling her and just I got to repent to her. I've ne- so she she and her husband are about to make like a very big move for their family that does not make sense on paper, seems utterly foolish. They have a bunch of little kids. You're like, I don't know that this is a smart thing to do with your kids. Like, it doesn't add up. So I have never said don't do that out loud to her. But like inwardly in my thoughts, I've had thoughts that are sound like that. Like, do you really need to do that? Isn't that a little extreme? What about your kids? Isn't that a little too far? These are thoughts I've had. And I'm sure she's actually heard those things as well. So I got to call her this week because I just felt so convicted by that. And so I called her up and just said, hey, I just want to tell you, like, go all in. Like, I just, I got to repent to her and say, I am sorry if in any way, like, I have, whether silently or verbally, ever communicated, like, that this isn't worth doing or it's too far. And I just got to like say, I wanna be the kind of friend who tells you, go all in, give it all to Jesus, like he's worth it. Anyway, she's crying, she's like, hey, um, I just an uh, an hour ago told God, like if I don't hear something by Thanksgiving, I'm like, I'm done, like I can't go on anymore. And so anyway, I ended up calling her an hour later. <laughs> it was just crazy. And but I just I felt like even specifically for you guys and this community, like what if you guys were the kind of people in this community to each other that was like pushing each other towards extravagance, that was actually like cheerleading radical generosity. That was like you can go further. Like give more. Put all your chips in because Jesus is worth it. And I just was imagining like what what would that smell like in Exeter? Like what would the fragrance of that be if you guys were like, instead of the people who were like, you've done enough. You know, I just think we can do that to each other rather than saying like, Jesus is worth it. You can give more. Like those are the kind of people we want to be. And um That's the kind of wisdom that Jesus rewards and says is actually wise. I think we have to be careful, like, giving well-meaning, worldly wisdom to one another. Because that, if the Bible says you're going to lose your life to find it, but we're telling people you need to hang on to your life and you shouldn't go that far, let's just be mindful that we're not giving people wisdom that is not found in the Bible. And we're not commending things that Jesus doesn't commend. So let's do that, guys. (laughs) Um, So the next thing that, why this makes sense and why we should tell each other to put all our chips in for Jesus is because what's done for Jesus lasts forever. What's done for ourself and this world is fleeting. Um, That's why it's wise, because it lasts forever. You know, I was thinking, you know, there's a scripture that says, even a cup of cold water given in my name will have a reward. So nothing is done in vain. No small act of love towards God, no huge demonstrative act of love towards God will be forgotten or in vain. It will have its reward. And, you know, she could have saved her perfume 
Like, she could have smelled good for lots of years. One little spray, one little dot every day. She would have smelled good. She would have smelled nice. That would have been the reward of keeping her perfume. But um, even though she dumped it all out at once, think about it. Like, the fragrance wasn't just enjoyed by her. It blessed everyone. And that's true for our lives. Like, even a private act of love for God will have an impact on those around you. There's something that's going to be enjoyed by not just yourself, but by many. And so the whole house smelled like it. Everybody in the room got to smell like it. It lasted for days and days. Jesus got to smell that smell as he's going through his deepest, darkest hours on this earth. And not only was the fragrance enjoyed by many, uh, this story so just her story has been told and will be continued to be told everywhere the gospel is preached. I mean, that's crazy to think about, like, how silly to hang on to her little bottle of perfume and think now, because she gave it up, that story of her perfume is told everywhere the gospel is preached all over the world. And there was probably people in, there was lots of people in that room that we're not talking about today. Maybe we, we don't even remember or know their names, but this insignificant woman, her story is told all over the world. And not just that, so not only the legacy here on earth, but her love for Jesus is going to be rewarded for all of eternity in heaven. That is a wise trade-off. That's so much smarter than keeping your perfume for, for yourself, right? So I loved this quote. Um, we're about to have it. Ready? Go. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus wants you to waste your life like Mary wasted her perfume, for it is no true waste. It is true worship, a poured out life of love for Jesus that counts worldly gain as loss, displays how precious he really is. It preaches to a bewild bewildered, disdainful world that Christ is gain and the real waste is gaining the world's perfumes and losing one's soul in the process. Jesus said it plainly in this way in Matthew 16, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will, he will reward each person according to what they have done. So, you know, it's like that phrase that maybe people have said, the upside-down kingdom, and it is. It's upside-down, like, or it's right-side-up, however you want to look at it. But what's foolish to this world is wise to God. What is wise to God is foolish to this world. We see this... Um, in another spot in Matthew, we have this quick little story about the widow's offering. And Jesus is at the temple and um, rich, you know, fa Pharisees are dumping loads of money into the, I don't know, it's not an offering jar, but whatever they would call it, the temple treasury. And they're giving so much. And then this poor widow comes in and drops two small coins in. And Jesus commends her. She, he's like, she gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had to live on. And I always have thought that is interesting because I think if I were there, I would have talked her out of it. Like, could you imagine? He watched a woman, an old woman, give 
all that she had to live on, and he did not stop her. He commends her. He praises her. He says, that is the right thing to do. That's the fitting response to who I am. That's the wise thing to do and in light of eternity. I would have talked her at least into keeping one for herself, right? I think we all would have. But that isn't wisdom. That isn't wisdom according to God. Jesus doesn't scold radical acts of love. He praises them. He acknowledges that they're fitting for who he is. What we see as unreasonable or foolish, Jesus calls wise. And I was thinking about this phrase that um, Judas or the disciples say, like, why all that waste? And I think, you know, we kind of get two options. Either people will say of our life, what a waste. Like, what a waste to start a church. You know, you could have done X, Y, Z, right? What a waste to, like, pour out all your belongings. What a waste to put in the two coins that you have So the world can say that of you, or God could say, what a waste of your life. And I really want us, (laughs) it's better that the people say it of our life, right? We don't want God to say that of our life. You're going to waste your life on something. You're going to waste your life on money, on pursuing success or power, trying to be beautiful, pleasing people. You may waste your life on like, I don't know, golf and video games and buying things at Target. Like, what a waste. That's a waste. But we're admonished in this story to waste our lives on Jesus because he's infinitely worthy and because we'll be rewarded forever. It's so wise. You know, I was thinking Jim Elliott, that famous missionary, um, I don't know when he was alive, 60s? Just guessing. Okay. Um, So Jim Elliott, he and a bunch of buddies went to bring the gospel to an unreached people group. They got killed. It was, you know, a very famous story. But one of his quotes before he died said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And, you know, just in case this story of Mary is feeling too feminine for you guys, like, you know, a woman with her perfume. Like, we also have Paul. And Paul uses just it his phrase reminds me so much of this story because he describes his life as being poured out like a drink offering he said that multiple times of his life he said for i'm already being poured out as a drink offering and here's here's why he's like up for it henceforth there is laid for me the crown of righteousness which the lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only to me but to all who have loved his appearing so this is wise not just because jesus is worthy but he knows us he also is going to richly reward us we are laying up treasures in heaven and you know at the end of that story about the rich young ruler the disciples are like well, what about us? We've given everything to serve you. And Jesus tells them, like, anyone who's given up house, land, mother, father, children, anyone who's given up anything for me will receive hundred, a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So this makes perfect sense in light of eternity. So how do we get a heart like Mary's? Here's some things you know, that I pulled from the story that uh, I think would help us this morning because my heart is not always responding like Mary's either. 
Um, the first thing is she sat at Jesus's feet in humility. So this isn't her first time humbling herself before Jesus. And this actually isn't his first time publicly affirming her. So earlier, um, we get that story of Mary and Martha and Jesus comes to have dinner at their house and Martha's busy like cleaning and cooking and serving. And we find Mary sitting at his feet. It says she was listening to everything the Lord said in adoration of him. And, you know, Martha's like, tell my sister to help me in the kitchen. And Jesus was like, I'm not going to tell her that. She's, you're actually fussing about a lot of things when one thing is required and she's chosen the better thing and it's not going to be taken from her. And I love even that. Like he, he almost like prophesies right there in the moment, like this, this devotion won't be taken from her. And then we see like, who knows how long had passed, maybe a year later, here she is again, devotion at his feet. She, we also find her at Jesus's feet in her grief and confusion when her brother dies. So Jesus, per, you know, Lazarus is sick. He purposefully doesn't come in time. He's dead. So Jesus shows up. Everyone's grieving. And what do we see Mary do? She runs and she falls at Jesus's feet. And even in that moment, she's like, I know you can resurrect. She's believing him in him. She's trusting in him. So that's her position, sitting and listening um, at the Lord's feet. And I think um, that position of humility is why she understood things that other people in the room didn't get. She put herself in a position of humility, a low position of seeing and valuing Jesus um, I think she also had this heart because she beheld his glory and power. She watched her brother get raised from the dead. And that's, that's insane. Um, but so did Lazarus, and he didn't seem to have the same response as her. But I think, you know, if we're finding ourselves with a lack of love in our heart, sometimes it's because we're not beholding Jesus for who he really is. So our hearts grow as we behold who God is in scripture. We'll be moved to worship him rightly as we gaze upon who he is and remember what he's done. We have to see him rightly in order to worship him rightly. So for our heart to match his worth, we have to understand how worthy he is. Um, lastly, we respond to his giving. So this story is about, you know, a woman's extravagant giving towards Jesus. But we know, like, in a matter of days, he's about to give it all. He's going to lay down his life for his believers, for the believers. So Jesus in this story is about to give it all. He's also obviously given throughout this whole, his whole ministry. But we have to remember that we're responders, not initiators in our relationship with God. We can't like outgive him or outlove him. Everything we're doing is in response to how he's loved us. We love because he first loved us. The only reason we can be generous is because God has been insanely generous with us because he's given everything to us and he withholds nothing from us. Um, I think about Romans where it said, he did not spare, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So it's from that perspective that we can be generous. Uh, if we don't see this, if we don't see Jesus that way, if we don't see him as giving us all things and withholding nothing from us, then it will be very hard for us to love him like this. 
This type of love isn't something we can produce in our flesh. It's the overflow of like a grateful heart that has received much. Um, So just as we close, I want us to kind of do a little moment of self-reflection. And I have um, just a question on the screen. Yep. Um, If you were to describe the depth and intensity of your devotion to Jesus, what words would you use? Would you use words like wholehearted, passionate, costly, demonstrative, abandon? Or would it be more accurate to use words like measured, dull, calculated, restrained, hesitant, withholding? I think I just want to point out like the point of asking yourself that is not in any way to produce any amount of condemnation. It's to reveal our hearts. And I think it's God's very generous and kind gift to us to reveal our hearts because then we get to repent and we can ask for something new. Um, So, you know, I can see the dullness of my own heart as I've been reading this story And I've been praying for my own heart, like, and that is a prayer God loves to answer. So, you know, if you found yourself maybe more in the second category, we can repent. We can repent this morning and we can cry out to God to fill us with his love afresh. We can ask him to awaken our affection and to help us see him rightly. And I love that we get to ask God to help us love God. (laughs) He knows. He knows we're weak. Like, he knows we can't even love him without him. But he loves a humble heart that's willing to repent and say, my heart is hard. My heart is dull. I don't see you right. Help me, God. Those are prayers he absolutely loves to answer. So we're prone to being dull and spiritually drowsy. We can be kind of half-hearted people. You know, I think even entering... Christmas season. I'm entering it. Um, You know, we can like behold the incarnation of Christ and feel nothing. We can like stand before these incredible truths and be like just dull or like want to get on our phones. Like we need to cry out to God. He can awaken fresh love in our hearts, awaken affection in our hearts and begin to ask him like, what would it look to worship you rightly? And you know, I don't The invitation is not to, like, get emotional. That isn't the goal of the story. I mean, we see a woman do this emotional act or pour out perfume, but the goal is to live lives like, you know, what is maybe costly worship for Megan or Kinley is different for me. So I think we can ask God, like, what would it look like to love you in this way? Maybe it looks like giving generously. Maybe that looks like radical hospitality. Maybe that looks like giving money. Maybe that looks like giving your time. Maybe that looks like giving up power or prestige in order to follow Christ. Maybe it looks like forgiving someone that you've held, you know, a deep grudge against for years. Like, there's tons of ways we can love Christ in this way extravagantly and costly. So... I think Noel's going to come up and pray for our hearts. (laughs) Thank you, Lori. That was amazing. Let's give her a hand here. Because it's super vulnerable to come and and preach that word in a church that's not your home, but um, we receive it. Um, It's not waste. It's worship. 
It's not waste, it's worship. Those are, those are the words that are going to be ringing in my heart as we leave this morning. Um, you know, not all of you were here last week, but I think that there's a specific word for Exeter Valley Church, and, and the word has to do with generosity. Last week, Ryan called us to, or, or even prophesied over us, to be a church known in the community for its generosity. And I think uh, Lori gave that same charge this morning. You know, what if we were known as a people who uh, lived out those words? It's not waste, it's worship. What if we were known for our extravagance? So uh, we're going to respond this morning. Uh, Worship team, you can go ahead and come forward. We're going to respond in song. Uh, We're going to come to the table. Maybe we need to repent of the way that we're holding back this morning. Maybe we need to repent of the ways that we're not letting go of life. We're actually trying to hold on to life. <clears throat> I don't know what, what you felt the sense that you needed to do, but uh, the call of God is to radical love. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond in song. And we're going to respond uh, at the Lord's table. And we're going to step into the radical lives that he's called us to. So let's pray. Jesus Thank you for um, loving us into loving you. And we thank you that even when we don't feel it, you're the initiator of our faith. And I thank you that this morning we, we can come to you as our Heavenly Father and ask you, would you do the work in our hearts that's needed to get us to this place of worship, Lord? We pray that you just touch on the strings where we're holding back. Like, God, would you show me right now where I'm withholding from you, where I'm living with a scarcity mindset, where I'm thinking like the disciples were thinking that, oh, this is so wasteful. Would you teach me to pour myself out extravagantly in worship and in generosity to those around me, Father? Would you make us a people of of extravagant love? It's not waste, it's worship. And we worship you, Lord, this morning. Turn our hearts to you. Amen. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Noel again. Just wanted to say thanks so much for joining us here at the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. And don't be afraid to join us in person on a Sunday morning 9.30 a.m. at the Exeter Memorial Building.